the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. We were powerless to do anything for ourselves, powerless to do anything about our sin, powerless to change our spiritual condition, and God passed by us, and He saw us in our condition, He saw us in our helplessness, He saw us struggling. How many of us were struggling when Jesus Christ found us? Struggling in life, struggling with sin, when Jesus Christ came along into our life, And Jesus saw us struggling, and Jesus said to us, live. The story of our salvation is like the ultimate Good Samaritan story. Many of us felt broken and beat up in this life. We had no reason for hope. Everything we'd invested ourselves in had failed us in some way. Sin had robbed us of confidence and purpose. Despite how ugly we'd allowed our soul to get, Jesus looked at us and saw potential. As Pastor Dan will explain in today's message, Jesus comes along, and instead of looking the other way, he stoops down and picks us up, giving us life. Now here's Pastor Dan in the book of Ezekiel chapter 16 for today's edition of Ring of Truth. Chapter 16 is the longest chapter in the book of Ezekiel. What happens in this chapter, though, is is God lays out his uh, his indictment against Jerusalem for her sin and her immorality. Uh, And in, in the Talmud, which were Jewish writings or kind of commentaries on the Bible, on the Hebrew Bible, uh, in the Talmud, chapter 16 is called the chapter of rebuke chapter of rebuke, and and ancient rabbis would not read chapter 16 publicly in the synagogues, because chapter 16 actually uses some pretty explicit language to describe the sin of Jerusalem. It needs needs a warning label on it, because it's, it's pretty graphic. God describes Jerusalem's sin here in this chapter in, in all of its uh, just sordid detail, really. And the reason that God uses such, uh, such language, such graphic language to describe Jerusalem's sin is to kind of shock the hearer. Uh, because they're not listening to God. They're ignoring God. Remember at this point, Ezekiel is sitting in his home in Babylon. He's sitting with the elders of, is- of Israel that are there in Babylon uh, but we know, because we, we've seen elsewhere in Ezekiel, that these elders were not really taking God's word seriously. The people weren't taking God's word seriously. They were ignoring God's warnings uh, to them and just kind of dismissing what God said. God wasn't getting through to them. And so now he uses very shocking language uh, with them, very, very graphic 
uh, language to describe uh, their sin to them so that they would realize the, 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 just the depth of their depravity. Um, last week in chapter 15, uh, we looked at the parable of the vine. And in chapter 15, God emphasized Israel's unfruitfulness. Here in chapter 16, this parable emphasizes Israel's unfaithfulness. God desires us to be fruitful, and he desires us to be faithful to him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2 says, God's stewards must be found faithful. God's looking for faithfulness. He's looking for fruitfulness, and he's looking for faithfulness. And we see in verse 1, again, the word of the Lord came to me. Again, he's sitting in his living room at this point with the leaders of Israel there in Babylon. The word of the Lord comes to him. Son of man, cause Jerusalem to know her abomination. So this is a message to Jerusalem, really the people of Jerusalem. Uh, And the purpose of this message is to cause Jerusalem to know her abominations, or, or to cause Jerusalem to see how vile and disgusting her sin is to God. Now, when sin and immorality becomes common, or normalized, or accepted in a society, over time, that society no longer sees it as sin. They no longer see sin as sin or wrong in God's sight. The popular perception of that sin changes over time in a culture that embraces sin and normalizes sin. Uh, The prophet Isaiah described this when he said, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light. And light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. Everything gets turned upside down. Where now the culture says, or society says, you know, this is good, but God calls it evil. And what God calls good, the culture now says, is is evil. And that's what happened in Jerusalem. They were calling evil good, and good evil. They were putting darkness for light, and light for darkness. Everything has shifted. Everything has, has turned. And as we know, uh, because we've seen earlier in the book of Ezekiel, the, the sin of Jerusalem was idolatry. And all of the practices that went along with idolatry that he's going to describe in detail throughout this chapter, idolatry became common in Jerusalem. And it became normalized. Uh, it, it, it was viewed as right. It was viewed as good. It was viewed as acceptable. It was viewed as as normal. And so now when you have a prophet come along like Ezekiel or Jeremiah, who calls out this sin and says it's wrong, the culture pushes back and says, "Who, who are you to say it's wrong? What do you mean it's wrong for us to do this? And, and, and of course, today in our culture, there are sins and immoral things that have become normalized have been accepted in our society. And, and we see things in our society, in our culture, that are evil in God's eyes. That our society says, that's good. It's good that we're doing that. It's good that we allow that. 
And there are things that God says is good for us to do that our culture says, well, that's evil. You shouldn't allow that. That's wrong. And so that's what's happening in Jerusalem at this time. Verse 3 says, and thus, and says, thus, and say, thus says the Lord God uh, to Jerusalem, your birth and your nativity are from the land of Canaan. Your father was an Amorite and your mother was a Hittite. Uh, Jerusalem, the city, was not actually founded by the Jewish people. It was, it was a Canaanite city before the children of Israel came into the land. It was a city of of Salem, later called Jerusalem. Uh, And so it has a Canaanite origin. He says in verse 4, As for your nativity, on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed in water to cleanse you. You were not rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling cloth. God, God is speaking in a parable here, and he uses a, a vivid description to describe Jerusalem's beginning. He describes Jerusalem as a newborn baby that was abandoned at birth and left to die, that had no chance of living. He, he says, you know, the umbilical cord was not cut, nor was the baby washed and cleansed. Neither was the baby rubbed with salt or wrapped in swaddling cloths. Uh, In the ancient world, salt was used as an antiseptic and salt was rubbed on newborn babies immediately after birth. Uh, And some Middle Eastern cultures still practice this where they put salt on the skin of a newborn baby. We we like to put lotion on babies, you know, here so their skin is really soft. (laughs) Some cultures, they put salt on the baby, uh, to toughen up the skin. So verse 5 goes on, No, I pitied you to do any of these things for you, to have compassion on you, but you were thrown out into the open field when you yourself were loathed on the day you were born. And when I passed by you, I saw you struggling in your own blood, and I said to you in your blood, Live! Yes, I said to you, and your blood live. And what is God saying in this parable? He was saying that Jerusalem was without hope. If not for God, they would have perished. And they owe their lives to God. And that's our story too, isn't it? You know, we, we can relate to this parable here because it's, it's, it's our story. There, you know, th- this, this was our spiritual condition before Jesus Christ rescued us. We were like the baby abandoned in a field, you know, with no, no hope, right? Just helpless, left for dead, so to speak. If not for God, we would have perished in our sins. We owe our lives to God. We owe our lives to Jesus Christ for rescuing us. You know, in Ephesians, it says that we came into this world without God and without hope, and we were dead in our trespasses in sins, we were helpless, we were abandoned, we were powerless to do anything for ourselves, powerless to do anything about our sin, powerless to change our spiritual condition, and God passed by us, and He saw us in our condition, He saw us in our helplessness, He saw us struggling. I mean, how many of us were struggling 
when Jesus Christ found us, struggling in life, struggling with sin, when Jesus Christ came along into our life and Jesus saw us struggling and Jesus said to us, live. And He rescued us. And He made us alive and He gave us eternal life. Ephesians 2 verse 5 says, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God made us alive. We were dead. We were as good as dead. And God made us alive. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 says, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us. We'll return to Pastor Dan's message in just a moment. First, Pastor Dan would like to tell you about the new Calvary Chapel Ellicott City app. We recently launched an app for our church and we're really excited about it. It's designed to keep you connected to our radio ministry, Ring of Truth, as well as to our church, Calvary Chapel. And get this, we have over 1,200 sermons on the app. The app is super convenient, it's easy to use, and allows you to listen to Bible studies anytime, anywhere. So download the app right now, search for Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City in your app store, or just follow the links on our website at calvaryec.com. What a great way to stay connected to Scripture. Now, back to today's message on Ring of Truth. We were utterly helpless, like a baby left in a field. And Christ came and died for us to save us. In John chapter 5, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. And we heard the voice of the Son of God saying to us, live. Live. In our, in our helpless estate, we heard the voice of God calling us to live. You know, verse 6 is, a, is actually a command. He, he commanded Jerusalem to live. One commentator said, God pronounced the sentence of life upon a child, otherwise sentenced to certain death. And in the same way for us, God, God found us helpless, dying, and He commanded us to live. He, he sentenced us to life when we were sentenced to certain death. And He made us alive. Now verse 7, He goes on, He says, I made you thrive like a plant in the field, and you grew and you matured and you became very beautiful. Your breasts were formed, your hair grew, but you were naked and, and bare. God didn't only make Jerusalem live, God made Jerusalem thrive and become beautiful. And He's describing her as this beautiful woman now. And, and in the parable, Jerusalem matures into a beautiful woman. And again, in the same way for us. God causes us to mature. God causes us to grow in the faith. He makes our lives into something beautiful, right? He gives us beauty for ashes. And here, here we were. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And He speaks life to us. He calls us to live. He gives us newness of life. And then He makes something beautiful out of our lives just as he did with Jerusalem. Verse 8, When I passed by you again and looked upon you, indeed, your time was the time of love, so 
I spread my wing over you and covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you and you became mine, says the Lord God. Now hear this phrase, I spread my wing over you and covered you. That's describing marriage. Uh, In the book of Ruth, chapter 3, verse 9, when Boaz is resting on the threshing floor, Ruth came to him and said, take your maidservant under your wing, for you are my nearest relative. You're my kinsman redeemer. She said, take me under your, your wing. You know, she's talking about marriage there. So here God says to Israel, I took you as my wife. He says, I entered into a marriage covenant with you and you, you became mine, my, my wife. Now, in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel is described as the wife of Jehovah. We see this in several places. Just to give you a few examples, uh, in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 14, God says to Israel, I am married to you. I am married to you. In Jeremiah 31, 32, God says, I was a husband to Israel. Uh, In Isaiah chapter 54, verse 5, for your maker is your husband. In Hosea chapter 2, the book of Hosea is all about God's marriage to Israel. Uh, Hosea chapter 2, verse 19, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice and loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me and faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. So Israel is the wife of Jehovah. In the New Testament, the church is described as the bride of Christ. So Israel is the wife of Jehovah. The church is the bride of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, Paul says the believers in Corinth have been promised as a pure bride to one husband, to Christ. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul instructs husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church, using the symbolism there of Christ as the groom and the church as his, his bride. So the church is the bride of Christ. Israel is the wife of Jehovah. And here he describes and speaks of taking Israel as his wife. Look at verse 8 again. The Lord says, I I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you, and you you became mine. He's talking about a marriage covenant. Now, when did God swear an oath to Israel and enter into a covenant with her? Mount Sinai. At Mount Sinai, after they came out of Egypt. Mount Sinai was really a marriage ceremony. God took Israel as his wife and entered into a covenant with her. Then, after you know, he takes her as his wife, verse 9 says, Then I washed you in water. Yes, I thoroughly washed off your blood and I anointed you with oil. This is describing part of a marriage Ceremony In ancient times, during a marriage ceremony, uh, they, they would have a ceremonial bath. They would anoint the bride with oil and 
anoint the groom with oil as well as part of the marriage ceremony. Uh, and then the, the groom would give gifts to the bride as an expression of his love. Uh, today we give typically an engagement ring of some kind as an expression of our love and devotion. And they would give gifts to their wife, to their bride, as an expression of their love. What is called in Scripture a bride price. Or marriage gifts. Uh, if you're taking notes, we see an example of this in Genesis 24:53, when uh, the servant of Abraham goes to find a wife for Isaac, and he finds Rebekah, and in Genesis 24:53, it describes the servant giving Rebekah gifts, jewelry and clothing, as a gift from her future husband. Um, another example, in the New Testament, the, the parable of the woman in Luke 15, who has 10 coins, and she loses one of the coins. You remember that parable? And then she lights a lamp. And she searches very diligently until she finds that one coin that was lost. The coin that she lost, is, is a, it's a drachma. It's not really worth that much at all. It's worth a few pennies. But she tore apart her house looking for that one coin. It's like you looking for a nickel and tearing your house apart just for a nickel. Well, that one coin of ten was probably a coin out of a of a decorative headdress that she received as a wedding gift from her husband. So even though the coin wasn't really worth that much, it was worth a whole lot to her. Because it was a wedding gift. And that's why she tears the house apart looking for it. Well, what God describes here, He describes all of these uh, luxurious gifts that He gives to His wife. In verse 10, I clothed you in embroidered cloth and gave you sandals of badger skin, which was a very fine, uh, luxurious uh, material. I clothed you with fine linen and covered you with silk. I adorned you with ornaments, put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck, and I put a jewel in your nose, earrings in your ears, and a beautiful crown on your head. So he, he bestows all these gifts upon his bride. Again, we see our story in this. God has made a covenant with us. The covenant that he made in his blood at the Last Supper. The, the shedding of blood for the remission of our sins. The blood of Jesus Christ. The church is described as the bride of Christ. As I said, Jesus washes us and cleanses us through His blood. He makes us clean from all of our sin and all of our filth. He washes us with the water of His Word. He anoints us with the Holy Spirit. He, he gives us you know, clothing. He says, I clothed you in embroidered cloth. Very fine uh, clothing that He gives His wife here. We're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, right? We're clothed in His righteousness. We put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 61 says, My soul shall be joyful in my God, for He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. He has 
You've been listening to Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. Pastor Dan is teaching through the book of Ezekiel. The Israelites had a difficult time trusting God, especially when things didn't go their way. But despite their wavering faith, God's faithfulness never wavered. He even sent someone like Ezekiel to speak not only truth, but hope. God had something much greater for the Israelites, and He has something much greater for you, too. If today's message with Pastor Dan on Ring of Truth has touched you and you'd like to know more about how God can change your life, we'd love to talk with you. Please give us a call at 410-491-4592. That number again is 410-491-4592. You can also send us an email through our website, calvaryec.com. And we highly encourage you to find a church home that will help guide and support you in your growing faith. If you're ever in the Columbia, Maryland area, we'd love to have you join us at Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City. Each week, we gather together for a time of worship and Bible study. And we'd love to have you join us. You can visit our website at calvaryec.com to find directions, service times, and what you can expect when you join us. We want to say thank you for joining us today. Pastor Dan will have much more to share from the Bible when you tune in next time, right here on Ring of Truth. I see the signs and I recognize.